culture around here. Right? And if you've, if you've had to listen to me and endure me, first off, you, I'm, I'm sorry that you're not listening to my wife again today. We couldn't afford the tissues. Um, like everybody was crying. We came up. We had to take a special offering to restack all the, the, the tissues that were, were burned through her um, sermon. And, and so we're trying to convince her to come back sometime in 2018. You guys pray. Um, but what am I hearing? Am I hearing something kind of odd feedback-wise? Maybe kill everything except me, Dustin. Figuratively. <laughs> we got a special button back there on the soundboard. Wired to your seat. We're trying to figure out where Daniel sits right now. He's in seat number two. Oh. Anyway, we're going to begin to talk about what it is to be uh, countercultural. Maybe. Maybe not. And we're going to talk about that because, because if you're like me, you've, you've, you sometimes get inundated by what the world gives, what the world offers, what the world talks about. Right, and, and if you read a lot and if you check the news and you watch social media and if you're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, you read things and you see things and you watch things. Even this week we have, we have watched overseas events in London, we have watched St. Louis, we have watched uh, the coverage of our political system. And if you're like me, you look at it and say, no thanks. There's got to be something better. And at its core and by its very definition, when we talk about the term counterculture, that's really what it is. We can have a lot of, uh, we'll, we'll unpack it a lot, but at the end of the day, it's when a person looks at what society offers and evaluates what society does and what society brings to the table. And what society intends to interject into the life of the individual. And the minute an individual looks at it and goes, there's got to be something better. There has to be something better. And that is the desire to be what we're calling counterculture. And I think in a world of today and in a church like ours that, that seeks to exist beyond walls, that is, refuses to be defined by a geographic location or by a single pastor or a single gift, it is incredibly appropriate in today's world, in my opinion, to talk about this subject. Because I've talked to enough of you and I know that the vast majority of you scratch your head on Monday when you turn and you look at the news. Right? How many of us have just looked at the, the world out there and went, man, there's got to be something better. And it really doesn't have to do with our belief system. As believers, we hunger for something better. But even if you're not a, a Christian, even if you don't profess faith in Jesus at this time, and moment in your life, even our, our society's like, man, is this it? Is this, is this it? Can't there be, be something more? 
And, and so we rush and we struggle hard to figure out as people, like, what do we do? Right? So what do we, what do, we do and, and, and how do we react? And society and the church kind of has approached culture in three different ways throughout humanity's history. From the the beginning of time all the way through 2017, society and the church kind of interacts and responds to culture typically in three different ways. The first one is it usually comes and says, well, we'll see if the button works. We, 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 We are pressured to try to conform to it. And I think in 2017, the world is screams at Christians to just lighten up. Right? It's like, take the word of God and kind of just chill a bit. And, and we're also becoming where in our country we used to have a majority position as, as a Christian nation, and we've heard ourselves use those terms. Now people have written that are a lot smarter than me say, man, we're, we're post-Christian. And so when we come, it's like, what do you believe? Like, I'm a Christian. What kind? Are you like one of those freaks that like believe that the words in that book that you guys carry around are actually legit? Or is it just a bunch of traditions? And so we, we at times struggle, like, well, should I conform to what society names as typical right now? And we see it in the news. And sometimes when we look at society and and we look at our own struggles, we're like, well, it never occurred. And yet, Christians have always battled conformity. Christians have always always looked at going, do I cave or do I I follow this, this, this life that Jesus has called us to? When Peter wrote his letters to uh, the churches in, in Asia Minor, it's like they, they, they struggled with this. It's like they were like, they were underneath enormous pressure by their government, by their neighbors, by their Jewish friends to just chill. Like the Roman government said, hey, what you believe, just shut up about it because it's superstition and it's subversive to where we want to go. You need to just let it go and be a good neighbor and just shut up. The Jewish people that wanted them to, to be a part of something they, or that they were a part of at one time said, man, you're abandoning your, your heritage and your tradition. Come back home. To the early church, they weren't accepted. And so there was always a struggle to conform to what culture screamed that they had to be. And if they didn't conform, they withdrew and began to critique it. 1960s scholars would, would, would stand above and say, hey, I'm not going to be a part of this, this God-forsaken world, but I'm going to critique it. I'm going to tell you what's wrong about it. I'm going to stay above the fray withdraw, you know, because the Bible says I'm in the world, but not of the world. So I'm going to I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to look down and tell you what's wrong and why everything's so messed up. 
I'm going to be become God, the Holy Spirit, and everybody else and tell you everything that's wrong. I am going to do nothing but critique it. We know from Scripture that the Pharisees lived there. Right? The Pharisees withdrew and deemed holiness as, as apart and separate. And it completely disavowed what common culture was. And if they didn't conform to it, and they didn't critique it, the third thing most people do is believe that they can change it. By man, if I vote for the right person, and we've talked about this, if we vote the right person in office, the world's going to become a better place. If we get the right political system or the political party control of the House of Representatives and the Senate, then the world's going to be a better place. If we force, and I get a kick out of this, so I'll get, so you're going to hear a lot of my opinions on this if you didn't know them already. Um, we push to get a certain type of culture in school. We need to give it prayer back in school because if we get prayer back in school, culture's going to change. And if you read throughout history, even in the 80s, church took a massively political role in culture in hopes that it would change. And yet when you look at society, how far has it gotten us? When you look at our culture and you look at where we've been and what we've done, we end up saying the same thing. <laughs> no thanks. There's got to be something better. And yet we just don't know what it is. We, we, we know that it's wrong to conform, right? Because it seems like our society and our culture continues to inch one way specifically. It seems like it asks us to just be more accepting and more loving and more allowable and to just kind of chill out on our, on our social constructs. And so we, 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 but we know in our hearts and by the leading of the Holy Spirit, it's like, man, you can't always say yes. And we know that critiquing something that isn't a part of us isn't valid either. Like the world doesn't, need another judge, jury, and executioner. And when we look at how Christ operated in the world, he really didn't sit back and, and refuse to engage society and go, y'all just stink. Y'all gonna burn in hell. But I love you anyways. And we also know that to change it is kinda, has proven ineffective. But there's a fourth way, and a way we're going to spend looking at, because we're going to turn to Matthew 5 the next few times. And I hope that we come to realize that it isn't to conform, or it isn't to, to change, or it isn't to critique, but, but Jesus Christ, through the life that he offers you and I, provides an alternative to what the world says. You see, I've been in enough circles and swam in enough, enough types of different water and streams that, that I know that the world has a right at times to critique the church. 
because the church has forgotten its role. The church isn't there to judge and to throw stones at people that have yet to experience the transformative work of Jesus. And yet we spend an enormous amount of power throwing stones. We know that by the Holy Spirit that we are to remain holy and separate and allow the transformative work to make us different so we can't conform. And we know history teaches us that to the believe that we as human beings who profess faith in Christ can inter interject ourselves into an existing system and somehow change it is a crock. Because it never has worked. But Scripture provides us with an alternative. An alternative to this life. And we see it in Peter's writings. We know Peter was like Jesus, the rock on which Christ would build his church. And in his letters that he wrote, 1 and 2 Peter, man, it's profound. Because he writes to a group of people that are isolated and rejected. And he says, but you're like living stones. And then when you, when you look at, at Paul's writing to the Philippians, it gets even more interesting. Because Philippi was at the time in ancient Bible times, a kind of a crazy city. It was deemed like little Rome. There was like 10 to 15,000 people there. It was a Roman outpost. There was a bunch of ex-military. If you went to that city, and you walked up on the hillside, you would see a mini coliseum there. And a mini coliseum that had like, like wood floors and, and, and rooms be, below it so they could mock up battles. It was a miniature version of the coliseum. And then if you look down in the valley, you would see these massive temples. And if you were able to walk those streets, you would have saw even bathhouses with just amazing tile work. And you're like, wow, this is crazy. What a powerful city. And, and yet, when Paul was there, to understand what Paul faced, you have to kind of, instead of turning to your left down at the valley, you have to turn to the right on the hillside. And towards the end of the city, there was a row of cells where they held prisoners. That's where Paul was kept. And Paul ended up in, in the Philippian jail for nothing more than turning around to a young girl who was following her, him at the time and said, man, I'm tired of listening to you and casting the demon out that had, had possessed her. And that simple act so ticked off the people that owned the slave girl that followed her that they dragged him in front of the magistrate and the magistrate goes, yeah, dude, that was wrong. You're guilty. Strip him and beat him. And then after you're stripped and beaten, we'll flog you before we'll throw you in the hole. And so, but when he wrote Philippians, he wasn't in that cell. He was in the big cell under Nero in Rome. And when he wrote that thing, you wonder what he had in his mind. He's like, I'm writing to the church of Philippi. I know what the pressure is, so maybe I should tell him to conform. But he didn't tell him to conform. Well, maybe he should blow up society as a whole because he's been beaten and flogged in Philippi unjustly simply because he set the captive free. 
by his prayer. So let's blow up the world, right? Let's, let's blow up and critique society and tell the church that, man, stay a part of that because they're going to kill you and beat you and they're unjust and you know how bad the world is. You know how mean those guys are. Or he could have said, man, we got to change it. we got to replace the judges. Because the judges found me guilty for something that was completely stupid. Let me get this right. I got beaten and stripped and flogged by setting someone free of demonic possession. That's what you're beating me up for? we got to get new judges in here. But this is what he writes. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 2. This is an amazing section of Scripture. So he doesn't tell them to conform, he doesn't critique, and he does not change. Paul, who sits in the Roman prison under Nero, writes to a group of people who society says are superstitious, whose neighbors tell them to lighten up and say, are your ha hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interest, but take the interest of two, of others too. Paul writes to this church, a group of people, and he says, what if we show them an alternative? What if we show them a life that's different than the life that they know? What if we show them a culture completely different than the one that they knew. Why would he do such a thing? That's what I would ask. I mean, if I'm sitting in jail under the big house and just got out of the little house jail, if I went from county to federal, I'd be like, get me out. What do I have to do to get out? And yet he writes this because the next verse says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. And my friends, there is no one more countercultural, more radical, more different, more conversation starting than Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Not only in today's world, but when he walked the earth. Paul goes on and says, though he was God, Verse 6, he did not think at equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And then he appeared in human form, or when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. It is my belief that Jesus, while he walked this earth fully man, changed those around him by modeling a way of life. 
Not by judging and not by freaking out and not by, not by placing laws on people that never bought into the law in the first place. He simply modeled an alternative. Right? You know, we worry about our world and we worry about our nation and we worry about our, our, our country and we worry about our state and we worry about our state and we worry about our city and we worry about our city and we worry about our neighborhood and we worry about our neighborhood and we, we panic about our school system. It's like, God, what do you want from us? What is our role in? I want you to be Christ. I want you to give the world an alternative to what they think they know. Man, we all have friends that don't know Jesus and don't profess faith in our Savior, but look out at the world and like, man, there's got to be something more than this. And if there is not Christ, then we lose hope and we become cynical and we become hopeless and we just go off and wear masks and break windows and yet... God in his love sits and says, there's something more. And that's the role of us. The role of 23 is not to sit back and, and critique culture and then post it on Facebook and say, the world's falling to hell. Going to hell. Let me share that. And then look on Friday night and go, look how many people agree with me that the world's going to hell. It's not what we're called to do. We're called to be light and salt. We're called to offer the people that we love, and I know you love them. Right? The people that we love, our neighbors and our friends, those in our families that don't know Jesus yet, the people in our schools, our teachers, and go, there is something more. There's got to be something more. Oh, there is. Let me tell you what it is. It's my Savior. And by believing in my Savior, He takes up residence in me and transforms you and I so that we offer an alternative to a world that's broke. Like we live in there. We don't get to, to go live in a hole somewhere on, on a cliff face and throw stones. Right? All of us show up for work or we go to school on Monday. We're going to be there. We're going to be in the midst of it. God hasn't given us an ability to check out. And even if we had an ability, I don't believe it is Jesus' call on our lives to check out. I think it is Jesus' call on our life to live in the midst of it and not be owned by it because we are owned by the one who gave us life to begin with. And we make a difference by that. Right, we look at we look at my buddy on the front row. We look at my, 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 my brother who has a call of God in his life and, and he can come back and go, man, Durango, you got to change your ways because look at what they're doing to your kids. You guys are horrible. Where's the value that you have in your kids? Oh, you stink. Praise God, I'll pray for you. Because right, that makes sense. It's a model that we have. Instead of manning up and raising money and having the courage to drive down to an indigenous population that is forgotten and feed them and clothe them and give them some shoes and give them an, 
view of an alternative life, a life that is rich, a life that is full of courage and hope, a life that is true. I'm kind of done and tired of focusing on the wrong things. Right? I'm kind of tired of, of looking and critiquing the world and, and feeling like the church is weak and it has to change the world. And I think Jesus and the Holy Spirit is stern within the local church the need to be more realistic and to be honest and say, I'm not called to be the Holy Spirit to this world. I am not called to conform to this world and I'm not called to change this world. What I'm called to be what I'm called to be is my Savior's character resonating through me so that people see a difference. And if you want to change the world, if you are tired of seeing what you see, give an alternative to it. Give an alternative, because that's what Jesus did. And so for the next few Weeks, we are going to look at Matthew 5 and we are going to discover a, a, a God that calls his followers up to a mountain with a bunch of people below him. And he begins to teach a life that is rich. And he says this, he says that one day in Matthew 5, it says, one day he saw the crowds gathering. Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. And we're going to look next week at what it is and why Jesus calls us to the mountain. Because he calls us to the mountain. But let me give you just an, a, a, a taste of that. Jesus provides us with experiences with an expectation. And he calls us to the mountain so that we function in the valley. And the church for too long has yearned to be helicoptered from one mountaintop experience to the other mountaintop experience. And we become critiques of culture that way. And we forget that the men and women that we love, that we have been called to reach, live in the valley. And if we don't take what God has revealed to us on top and bring it down into the valley, we are nothing more than just consumers of faith. But I won't get too fired up with that one. Be next week. But on the mountain, he brings up and his disciples gathered around him and began to teach them an alternative life. Says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. And God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. And God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. For they will be satisfied and blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy and blesses those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they shall be called the children of God and are those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of God is or heaven is theirs. God blesses you. When people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For great, a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You see, my brothers and sisters at 23, 
You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its favor? And can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot. as worthless. And my brothers and sisters at 23, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that can be, cannot be hidden. No one place lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, and instead a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all those to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. How countercultural is that? What an alternative to the world that we live in, that we shake our head at, that we weep over, that we cry about, that we worry about, that we pray for. How countercultural would it be if you and I modeled the life of Jesus to those that look around and say, isn't there something more than this? And absolutely there is. There's Christ. There's Christ. And so we're going to look this week and the next few weeks at a life that provides hope where there's hopelessness. A light and a life that gives life where there is death. A life that provides grace and mercy where there is none. A life that provides an anchor for the soul in dark and stormy world. A life that will change the world around us because it is Jesus that dwells within us. So I'm, I, this is what I honestly believe. I believe God has called three congregations to look at this section of Scripture because God has called us more than simply to exist. And so I'm excited about the coming weeks. I want to I encourage you to try to commit to, to being here and to just explore with me or with Abe or with Aaron what it is to be countercultural. You want to be truly radical? You want to blow people's minds? You want to just like stand up and go, man, I ain't doing this. You want to freak people out. You want to confuse the heck out of your coworkers or your student body or your friends, or the people you hang with in the gym. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform you into a representation of the Savior you profess and watch the world change. Amen? Can you stand with me?